Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. morning, we will continue with our series on the Gospel of John. Uh, today, we will continue through John chapter 6. We will try to go through verses 25 through 59. This is the, verse, uh, this is the passage where Jesus was telling the crowd that I am the bread of life. And uh, due to the sake of time, we will only be able to cover a few things within this long passage. There's so much in here, and I want to encourage you guys during the week, during your quiet time, just go through and read these verses again. Read them slowly and allow God to speak to us and reveal all the things that he wants us to know. So just a brief review. Uh, Initially, as we know in the beginning of chapter 6, the crowd was following Jesus because the signs he performed by healing the sick. We saw that in verse 2. So as they they follow him. They saw that he also fed them. It's, like, it's kind of nice, right? You see this guy performing all the signs, the miracles, and he also feeds you when you're hungry. So, so they, they were not about to give up on following him. So we saw that when uh, at nighttime they saw the boat left, the disciples left without Jesus, but they couldn't find him. So they went and crossed the lake of Capernaum. Yes, thank you. And try, try to look for Jesus because he's performing miracles and he's feeding us, so we, need, we must follow him. Uh, so now, this very same crowd that has initially followed Jesus for signs and miracles, right now he's following him because they can get a free meal, if I can say that. Um, because they were asking him, where did you go? How did you get here? And, and he knew what their intention was when he answer them. It's in verse 26 and 27. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you, honey, can you put this slide up? You're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your field. He went on to say, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So they didn't ask him, give us more food. They would just ask him, where did you go? But he knew their intention because that's how Jesus always, his answer is always addressing the main intent of what they were trying to say. So when, when Jesus said, do not work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures for eternal life. So don't mistake this for idleness. You know, he's not trying to tell us, well, don't work, period. He's trying to say, perhaps, the better translation is, don't labor, that's, I think that's a better translation. Don't labor for food that's spoiled, but labor for the food that will endure us to eternal life. Food that will feed our souls. We need to work for the food that feeds our souls. Obviously, we do have a day job, right? We need to work. We need to be responsible, make money, and provide for our family, provide for ourselves. And sometimes we make money so we can use that to bless other people. I've come across a lot of people that just say, I don't want to go work because I don't want to be subject to the corporate. Uh, I don't want to be, you know, do this, do that. But think of it as when we work, we have money, we can use that to bless others, yeah. others that who are not able to. But anyway, that's, that was a side point. But 
the main point here is Jesus wanted to remind us to labor for food that feeds the soul. So the world, um, what, what he's trying to say is work for the things that really matter, that really matter for our souls. And unfortunately, it is still applicable throughout history. As it's still happening now, right? We live in a workaholic nation. And I get like that sometimes too, so I'm not excusing myself, uh, as Vanessa can attest to that. But there's so many people that are just working day and night for food that perish, just like what Jesus said, and do nothing for their souls. Uh, some of the examples that we can talk about uh, that we know is working long hours, have no time for the family, you know, no time for themselves, or no time for their loved ones. You know, the, the excuse is, well, I'm providing for you, but the relationship is missing. So in this verse, Jesus went even deeper, and he's telling us, work for your souls, labor for your souls. That's, that is what really matters. So not just spending time with your loved ones, but go even further and labor for your souls. And um, I read this from a theologian. Can you guys hear me okay? Okay, a theologian, J.C. Rao. And he said, what does it mean to labor for our souls as followers of Jesus Christ? There are three things that he listed that I just really felt that resonated with me, and I felt that that's something that, that we should really strive for. Number one is read the Bible like people digging for hidden treasure. Have you ever read the Bible like you're digging for something? Like every nugget's in there. You want to read. You want to draw everything from it. There's gold in here. This is how I read the Bible instead of skimming through the passages and just trying to get the main points, which I am guilty of pretty much all the books that I've read. But read the Bible as we're digging for treasure. That's how we labor for our soul because we're trying to hear what God is speaking to us. That's number one. Number two, it's about prayer. Wrestle earnestly in prayer like people contending against a deadly enemy for your life. Right? Have we ever prayed for that? Pray from a place of such desperation that you're contending against a deadly enemy that wants you to die, that wants to kill you. That's how we should pray. As in pray earnestly, pray fervently, and instead of just, oh, I just need to do my checklist, but pray earnestly, knowing that we're fighting against Satan, the devil that wants nothing from us, that wants to take us down. So read scriptures like you're trying to search for hidden nuggets. Pray earnestly as you're fighting against the enemy. And number three, fight daily against sin. These are the things that, what it means to labor for your soul. So fight daily against sin like we're fighting for freedom, like we're fighting for liberty. Because if we win, we're the people of God. But if we lose, we're going to be slaves. So those are the three things that, that I felt J.C. Rao spoke to that I really felt apply to what it means to labor for our souls, just to hear the instruction of that, what Jesus is trying to tell us. As followers of Jesus, that's how we labor for our souls. Read the Bible, read scriptures like we're digging for treasure. Pray and contend against an enemy that we know is real. And number three, fight against sin because it's for our freedom. Otherwise, they will put, we will become slaves again and live like we used to prior to Jesus. So, so as we labor for our souls, as we labor for greater revelation of Jesus through prayer and through scriptures, everything will fall into places. So I just want to stress, I don't mean just sit around, read the Bible and pray and then do nothing else. 
Right? I want to make sure I stress that because as we, we strive for, for, for a greater knowledge of Jesus, seeking after him, seeking to do the things that he called us to do, everything will fall into places. Matthew 6, 33 says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So all these things, if we go back and read this passage, all these things are the, the clothing and the food and the shelter that we have because Jesus spoke about those things. All the provision. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all those things will be provided for us. So anyway, I just want to um, take a few minutes to stress what he meant when he said, do not work for food. Do not labor for food that spoils, but labor for food that matters, that endures for eternal life. So the crowd... The people kept missing the whole point of what Jesus was trying to repeatedly tell them. It's not about the physical bread or the physical fish. It was not about forcing others to accept Jesus as king as they tried to earlier, before. But they still didn't get it, so they asked Jesus. And a lot of people are still asking this question now. What must we do? I think think that's in verse um, 28. What must we do to do the works of God? Meaning, what must we do or how do we qualify ourselves in order to do the works that God requires? And Jesus' answer was, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And, and as we go on to read uh, more verses, the people kept asking for more signs. It's, like, it's important to note that what Jesus said in this verse, and I want to stop at verse 29, is to believe in the one he has sent. In their minds, they're thinking that we need to do something. We need to work harder. We need to observe certain rules and rituals. But Jesus just said, believe in the one he has sent. Believe first, then our behaviors will change. Isn't that amazing? So we tend to think that we have to change our behaviors before we can accept Jesus and believe in God, right? For example, man, I went out partying too much last night. I need to like, stop that first before I can go back to church and, 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 and face him. No. He said, believe in Jesus then our behaviors will change. So, so when we think that our behaviors must change first before we be, can believe in him, that is an incorrect teaching and that is unbiblical. And I want to make sure we stress that and we know that fully. So as we accept Jesus and believe in him, the Holy Spirit, whom will be given to us through Jesus, will help us change our behaviors, right? The Holy Spirit will prompt us, will lead us, will convict us to say, oh, maybe I should drink one less beer, or maybe I should take one less shot. Maybe that's just me. You you, you guys, there's something else that you guys can do, but also change our perspective as people who belong in the kingdom of God. So therefore, believing in Jesus will give us the wisdom and the courage and the boldness to change our behaviors. We need Jesus to change our behaviors because we can try to change our behaviors on our own, but it's just a short term to do something everlasting, eternal, that's Jesus. So when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit will allow us to change our behaviors. And when our behaviors are changed, we will be transformed. That's what it means, transformed into someone completely, totally different. And as our behaviors change through our revelation of Jesus, as I said, our lives will be transformed. Transformed into, into the, and, and live as people who belong to the kingdom of God not belonging to this world. So belief leads to our behaviors, leading to us knowing that we belong. That will help to give us the security and the confidence to know who we are, like who, I know who I am because I know who you are. That's what it means. So, 
as a reminder, Jesus was saying this because he doesn't want us to, to, to have a relationship of a, a boss and an employee, right? Or an owner and a servant. Because an employee and a boss is pretty much, we all, I have a day job. I think you guys know that. I have a boss. When they tell me, Hugh, I need you to complete this project, I'm not going to say, well, I'm kind of busy right now, so I know you said it's urgent, but let me do my thing first and I'll do yours. No, it doesn't work that way, right? Can I? Hopefully you guys are the same with me. Uh, so so he, Jesus does not want us to have a relationship between a boss and an employee. He wants us to come to know him and love him and do things out of a place of love. Yeah. So we do what our boss instructed us to do, right? In, in our workplace, in our professional setting, or within the scope of our job description, but we should not dedicate our lives to our bosses. Because if we dedicate our lives to our earthly bosses, we're worshiping them, right? We're, we're trying to live like them. We're trying to follow them. And catering to the, the needs and desire, if I can say selfish needs and selfish desire, they're not bad people. Bosses are not bad people. They're good people. But they tend to look out for themselves. In general, we tend to look out for ourselves, look out for our own thing, me, myself, and I. And I'm being really honest when I say this. So to believe in Jesus, meaning that believe that he was sent from a place of unconditional love. To believe that he was sent from a place of unconditional love to die for all mankind. Jesus wants us to know that to believe that he unconditionally loves us. And he unconditionally died for everyone on the cross. There was no return. Like even if you, we never accept him, he would do it anyway, willingly, gladly. That's, that's what he wants us to know, is to believe in the one he has sent. The next several verses reveal the heart of men um, in, in terms of they, they, they heard what Jesus said, right? To believe in the one who has sent. But then they kept asking for more signs. It's like, wait a minute, I need more signs. Can you give me more miracles? Can you show me more signs? I, I need more wonders. I need you to feed me more. Instead of bread, can I have like steak? You know, can I have meat instead? So, so what, in, instead of just saying, oh, I have seen and witnessed what you have just done, they're asking more, for more signs. It will never be enough. If we get into that mindset, can you show me more? Oh, I need more. It will never be enough to satisfy them. We can see that in verse 31, they are implying that uh, they were taking, they, they were reverting back to the time of Exodus, saying that, implying that God, because God provided manna, provided the bread for them during the Exodus, God should be giving them bread every day, just like during times of the Exodus. So Jesus went on to say, the bread from heaven to feed the Israelites was a foreshadowing of the spiritual bread that God will be giving to the whole mankind, to the whole world. In verse, that, that, that's what he said in verse 33. It's a reminder for us, every time we read the Old Testament, we need to keep in mind that all the signposts, as in uh, when, we, when we need to get from point A to point B, there's a direction, right? A map, a direction that we follow the map. That's what it means, a signpost. Everything is pointing to Jesus for us to eventually get to Jesus. You, you take a left here, you take a right there, but the final destination is Jesus, the coming Messiah. So he was pointing back to them. It's like, you tasted this bread? It fed you for a day, but now I'm coming. I'm the bread of life that will feed you for eternity. 
So Jesus replied to the request for more signs in verse 36. I don't know if I have it up there or not. In verse 36, because as if feeding 20,000 people was not enough, right? Of seeing the miracle, seeing Jesus healing the sick was not enough. Or Jesus walking on water and disappearing and just reappear on the other side of the lake was not enough. He said, but as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And that's what I meant when I said it's never enough. You always want more. Jesus went on to explain that he is the bread of life because that is the will of the Father. In verse 39 and 40, he said, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all, of all of those he has sent me to, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So just briefly, this is a, these two verses are theologically deep and really, really thick. But I want to just briefly touch on these two verses to say there are those whom have been given to Jesus, but they may not know or accept it at this time. They will eventually come to truly know Jesus. So that's what he meant in verse 39. So using, if I may use myself as, a, as an example, up until when I was 34 years old, I denied Jesus, I ridiculed him, I made fun of people who believe in God, believe it or not. But because I'm one of those who have been given to Jesus, eventually you come to know Jesus. So I'm saying this from the standpoint that there are those, we don't know who they are, have been given to Jesus, have faith, have patience, have compassion, have grace. They will come to know Jesus eventually. And, and also there's another group as they look to Jesus, regardless who they are or where they are, where they came from, as they look to Jesus and believe in him, they will receive salvation also. So both of these groups will taste the bread of life and have eternal life. Jesus is saying that once we genuinely and honestly accept Jesus, we will not lose our salvation, right? That's what he's saying. I will not lose any of those that have been given to me. However, they still grumble, right? So we went on, they're just complaining. They want more. They still grumble and not believe. This is in verse 41 and 42. As they talk among themselves about who Jesus the man was. I think we have all come across this at one time or another, right? So in this example, he was saying, Jesus, well, isn't he the son of Joseph, the carpenter? Why, why is he saying that I came from heaven? That's, I cannot believe that. I've seen him when he was young, right? It's the same, I mean, using myself as an example, I, I know how I lived in my 20s versus how I'm living now. So all my friends from during my 20s would not believe that I'm up here. So I think I can speak that for most of us of how we used to be versus how we are. So that's what they're saying. It's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus, he was the carpenter. He was a little boy. I knew him. There's no way that he came down from heaven. So they're still seeing life through the natural eye. So they couldn't believe him. So verse 41 and 42 was an illustration of people, as I said, still looking through our physical and our natural eyes. And I want to, only want to see what makes sense to them. Or we only want to see what makes sense to us. Even though, this is the same group of people. So this is not like a new crowd, suddenly another group that Jesus went to. It's the same crowd as we know in chapter 6. Followed Jesus because of the signs and miracles. 
8, because Jesus multiplied five bread and two fish, went across the lake looking for him. So the same group of people, right, still didn't believe in him, still wanted more signs. The same group of people. It's not a different group. The same group of people. As in, they say, I've seen and I've known how they live in the past, and they just can't change. They just can't change the perspective. There's no way that he can could have come down from heaven. But Jesus remained patient and he continued to remind them in verse 45. Just to help, help remind the Jews in terms of like what had happened before. And I, I'm, I'm trying to fly through these verses. I want to encourage you guys to reread them again because there's so much in here that we will not be able to unpack this morning. But in verse 45, Jesus said, it is written that they will be taught by God. He was referring back to Isaiah 54, verse 13. Isaiah 54, verse 13 said, All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be the peace. He was calling to mind one of the Old Testament greatest prophecies of the renewal that will come about through the outpouring of God's love. So he's reminding back to them of the greatest prophecy in terms of how he's going to bring his people back to exile. So this, he was using this very, very well-known prophecy. So even the most uneducated Jews will be familiar with this. So it does, you don't have to go to school for so many years to know the prophecy of the people. This is for the Jewish. And what he followed up to that was everyone, know, everyone at the time knew about Isaiah 54 and everyone at the time knew about Isaiah 55. And Isaiah 55 verse 1 said, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. So all the Jews, as I said, regardless of their age, regardless of their economic background, regardless, regardless of their social standing, knew about Isaiah 54 and they knew about Isaiah 55 verse 1. And that's why he was declaring and reminding back to them again, I am the bread of life. This is Isaiah, uh, this is verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's Isaiah 55, 1, right? And, and he said it again in verse 48, I am the bread of life. And he said it again in verse 51, I am the living bread that came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus repeated this over and over and over again, as in from Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, eat, come and drink. It's free. This is what I'm pouring out to you. So he actually practically walked them through what happened in the history. First, he allowed them to taste the bread through the multiplications. So as you know, in the Exodus, right, every day God provided bread for them. So he gave them a glimpse of the history. They get to relive that history, not, not as in someone told us a story, not as in you've seen a document um, movie, but they get to actually relive a day of what it was like when God provided food for them. So he reminded them that the bread that was provided for ancestors, he just provided for them. They just tasted it a little piece of that. Now he's telling them that he is the bread. Now I, you tasted a little bread from heaven, now I am the bread of life. 
Come, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and you will live forever. Jesus is also speaking and referring to Psalm 34. We know this well. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So that's what it means. Taste. Eat his flesh. He is the bread of life. Taste it. Have him inside of us and see that he is good. So if I may paraphrase this passage about Jesus as the bread of life. Say, I am the bread of life that your ancestors had eaten while they were in exile. Through their disbelief, right? They got into exile because of their disbelief in God. They, after God freed them, provided so many miracles to brought them out of Egypt, they still did not believe in God. So God still provided for them, even though they were wandering in the desert. So the bread, which I showed you earlier, and you have tasted, you've tasted what your ancestors tasted. I multiply the bread for you so you can see the miracle. I am the bread of life that the prophets have spoken about. I am the bread of life that you have been told about by your ancestors and taught by God. And I am here, and you still don't see me. So they still couldn't accept Jesus as the bread of life, even though they had just went through all that. Like right, I said, relive the history. Relive the history and, and history that they have read about, history that they have heard about. Not visualize, like I said, not visualize or not being told of a story. So sadly, most of them chose to continue to live a life of exile, just as their ancestors did during the time of the exile, through their disbelief. They can use that term, disbelief. And also, it's, they, they couldn't believe it through the disbelief because uh, another thing that to, to, to know also, it was very difficult for the Jews to accept when Jesus was saying, drink my blood and eat my flesh because on the surface it sounds pretty gross, right? But it's especially so to the Jews because they were forbidden. They were forbidden. The most forbidden thing about food and drink for them is blood. They, that's why there's kosher meat and there's the way to get rid of all the blood out of what, everything they drink and they eat. So that's the most forbidden thing. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 17. So this, this law or this mindset has been ingrained in their lifestyle for so long that they cannot think otherwise. Like, what? Eat your flesh and drink your blood? No way, man. We cannot do that. Well, I, I shouldn't say no way, man. That's just me saying. So, so they have always been taught since birth. It is forbidden eat your, someone's flesh or drink someone's blood. So now Jesus is telling them that, which is why it's so difficult for them to accept. And if we can um, use that as an illustration and how it can apply to today, in this present day, Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us, it's so difficult in terms of us having to rely on someone else because we have been so indoctrinated with the mindset of the survival of the fittest. Right? Can I say that? I hope that that's not going to offend anyone. Because it's most, mainly the, the survival of the fittest is about me, myself, and I, right? How can I survive? How can I be smarter? How can I hoard enough food for myself so then I can survive? I mean, we don't have to look too far during the pandemic with the hoarding of toilet paper. That's not even food. That's ridiculous, right? That's not like, that should never be on the top 10 things, of things that you need if you need to survive. But because of the mentality that everyone has, the survival of the fittest. So apply that to the Jews. They have disbelief, and they couldn't change the mindset because they were holding so tightly 
not knowing because they were so holding so tightly into the law and the ways of life. So it's not really that much different than our disbelief because our disbelief is only to believe in ourselves. I can speak from the place of this is how I used to live. Right? Me, myself, and I, I have to raise myself up. I have to provide for myself. I have to take care of myself. So when you have to rely on someone else and trusting in someone else, that takes a different mindset. It going back to what I said, believe before we behave differently, before we think differently, to realize that we now belong to the kingdom of God. So we have been taught to only rely on ourselves as other people will fail us or disappoint us, which is true, right? No one's perfect. Well, this is true of people. People, sometimes, they have their own priorities. We may think it's selfish, but they have their own priorities. They have things they have to worry about. People will fail us or disappoint us, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. This is why he's so different. Jesus is so different because he will never fail us. Jesus, the Son of God, he only wants us to know how much he loves us. He died for us even, we, even went before we even cared for him. Right? Can I say that? If I can use myself as an example, I didn't even know who Jesus was in my teens, in my 20s. And as I said, I used to ridicule and make fun of people who believe in God. But he died for me before I was even born. Jesus suffered through all the emotions. As we, as we go through the gospel, we go through the Bible, you see that he was hurt. He was hurt by the people. Just right now, disbelief. After I have provided for you, after I have killed you, I may allow you to walk. You've been paralyzed your whole life. Now you're able to walk. You couldn't see. Now you can see. You couldn't talk. Now you can talk. You still don't believe. That's unbelief, right? Betrayal. We know that people betray Jesus. Rejection. Later on, we'll, we'll go through that next Sunday. People left Jesus because, wow, that's too hard. I like it better when you just provide for me and show me a few tricks of the miracles. But to expect more, that's too much. That's betrayal. Rejection, right? People rejecting Jesus and disappointment. He's been through it all. He knows exactly what we're going through because he went through it all for us. That's the key word right there. He didn't have to go through any of those things, but he went through all those things for us. So, if I can say, don't let our belief in ourselves be the stumbling block for our belief in God. Don't let our belief in ourselves be the stumbling block for our belief in God. I want to close by saying this. Well, bring this to a close. I'm not closing yet. I want to bring this to a close by saying this. Jesus, he is the bread of life. In him there is eternal life. Right? He spoke of eating his flesh and drinking his blood to let us know that we must allow him to become a part of us. He must become within us. His flesh must become part of our flesh. His blood becomes part of our blood. That's what he's trying to say. It's the same as when we see Jesus, right? Jesus said this all the time. When you see me, you see the Father because the Father is in me. I'm in the Father. So when we take his blood and take his flesh, hopefully we can say the same things when people see us, they see Jesus because Jesus is in me and I'm in Jesus. That's what he's trying to get us to understand the deeper meaning in terms of drinking my blood and eating my flesh. So then, I'm in you and you are in me. That's what we need. So then when they see us, they see a glimpse of Jesus. And not with the mindset, well, it's none of your business what I believe in. No. You want to know what I believe in? I believe in Jesus. And you want to know why? Let me share with you. 
So using the illustration of a, a, a child with DNAs of a father and mother, right? And, you know, we, we have Father's, father's Day today. We have many kids. So when you look at the kids, it's, hopefully you know this, it's a, it's a com- combination of the DNAs between a father and a mother. You may look at someone and say, oh, you know, your, your face resembles your dad or your eyes look like your dad, but together it's a combining. You can't separate the two between, oh, well, if I slice this down the middle, this is the dad's DNA, this is the mom's DNA. That's using that as an illustration. So it is as if Jesus is trying to tell us we need to be grafted together because that is how you become a new person. That is how you become transformed into the sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be transformed because as we allow Jesus to come more within us, drink his blood, eat his flesh, then we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that's where the supernatural comes in. Because practically, we have some medical people here. How does that happen? I mean, if I want more of Mike, can you take some of his DNA and pump it into my blood vein? What is that going to look like? Is it going to look like half Mike, half Hugh? No, it doesn't work that way, right? So it needs to be supernaturally done by the Holy Spirit. I want to look like Mike, by the way. So if you guys know of a way, let me know. Um, at least his hair. Um, so we, we need a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to transform us into someone different. We may look the same physically, but everything within us is different, right? The blood within us is different. The flesh within us is different. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand the deepness of what he's trying to say. Okay, so for real, now I'm bringing it to a close. This is what it means to eat the bread of life. This is what it means to have Jesus. And this is what it means. Once we have Jesus, we have eternal life. So what is eternal life, right? We hear that term a lot. So the moment that we tasted the bread of life, until eternity, we will be forever free. Forever free. Free from condemnation. Free from shame. Free from guilt because Jesus has set us free. If we think like that, it's because the devil is lying to us and tricking us and saying that, no, you should be ashamed because I know what you've done. Yes, Jesus knew what we have done, and he, has, he died for all that. He died for us. So we'll be free from condemnation and shame and guilt, free from generational sin, the things that, that our, the generation before us has done. You know, we know this. We, we've seen this through the practical matter, whether it's drugs, right? It will pass down. Alcohol, alcoholism, abuse, uh, rejections, and what have you. So once we accept Jesus, we will be free from those things. The only way that we think that we still have it because of lies that we hear from the enemy, the devil is putting in our head. And once we have Jesus, we will be forever free from finding our worth in those around us. Forever knowing that we're loved by God. We're accepted by God. We're treasured by God. So we don't have to have fear of rejection. Right? We don't have to worry about all the things that were spoken over us because we know the things that God has spoken over us, right? All the things that people may have spoken over us, like you're lazy, you're nobody, you amount to nothing. I have heard those things. Nobody likes you. You're not able to do anything. Go shut up. Go to the corner. Go to your room. You're stupid. You're ugly. We hear those things all the time. But once we accept Jesus and come to know him, read scripture, and we will know what God thinks about us. Get to know him, and we will know that he treasures us, he loves us, 
and He made us perfectly. And eternal life, what it means to forever live free as sons and daughters who are loved by the Almighty God. So that's just a glimpse of the eternal life. Physically, we're still here, but we get a glimpse of what it's going to be like for all of eternity. And we want that for us. We want that for the generation that come after us and all the generation that come after us, for them to know that do not listen to the things that the world has spoken over you about how you, you, you don't care, you don't pay attention, you, you, you don't... Many things. So steer them toward God and allow them to know what God thinks about them. So anyway, that's what I have for this passage for this morning. We will finish John chapter 6 next Sunday. There's still a lot left. There's so much in this chapter, and I want to encourage you guys to um, go through this chapter and just to read through it again. Read it, as I said, like laboring for the food that will last for all of eternity. Read Scripture slowly, like you're digging for hidden treasure. Pray. When you pray, pray earnestly as you're fighting against an enemy that wants to kill, destroy, not only for you, but for your children and the generation that come after you. Right? And live and fight against the sins that may come to mind in our lives. So uh, let me pray. Father, we just want to thank you for you, God. Just thank you for this morning. I just thank you for the things that you have spoken to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you. I just pray that this moment, right now, this morning, Holy Spirit, you will reveal greater things to us, Lord. Allow us to know more of who you are, more of your heart, more of your love, Lord, more of your power, just, just more of you, God, so that we can grow more into those that you have created for us to be, fully walk out into the path that you have for us, to be able to live as sons and daughters. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we honor you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.